And she kind of described it really well. And I think energy and identity are so interconnected. She said that she went from feeling kind of energized and high vibe, more kind of a radiator, to an on-edge, distracted, paranoid, anxious, overwhelmed version of herself. And she said she felt so much more like a drain than a radiator, which kind of fed into this feeling like a burden. When, she, oh my God, she had just given birth to this little baby. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Mother Mask. I'm your host, Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner, and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection, because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. Hello, how are you? Welcome back to Behind the Mother Mask. What a week. It feels like it's been more than a week since I've been doing this podcast. <laughs> it's been a week of amazing progress. I have to shine a light on that, getting things done. I mean, they are kind of my day job, like getting the episode out. But honestly, I've had Bonnie home for just things go on, other things in our kind of world and environment. You know what it's like, the mother load, but then the invisible mother load. And it just feels like it's more of a quest uh, <laughs> than something that just kind of smoothly happens. And it's also that kind of fight for your own nervous system and fight for your own space. I'm sure you can relate to that. So despite it all, I have achieved things that I have wanted to and let go of some of the things that I just had to let go of. <laughs> and in the words of Elton John, I'm still standing. So let me know how your week has been. Can you relate to that? The internal juggle and the external juggle. Okay, so this week, if you follow me on Instagram, please go and follow me on Instagram. Instagram is kind of where I hang out, in my coffee shop, as I like to call it, in between doing the podcast. It's where I can share the kind of greater insights from my guests and things that happen around around the podcast behind the scenes kind of between the lines it's also where I share my, my work and how you can just interact with me a little bit more in between the podcast so I'd really love for you to check out my Instagram I put the link in here but if you're on there you would have seen me this week faffing around in my stories moaning about my podcast prep or procrastinating 
to be fair, it was completely genuine. Had Bonnie at home, wasn't feeling well, bloody blah, blah. But the reason it, I was moaning is because it's such a big deal. Like these podcast episodes, they, everyone, I'm like, this is going to be the best episode ever. They mean so much because I know how much they mean to you and how they can help you in terms of shining a light on some of this complex stuff. So I, I do put pressure on myself, but especially this one. So this one is. I'm going to be talking about it's all in your head, is it? Because this is something that I have personally experienced. It's a belief. It's a story I was telling myself for a long time when I felt crazy and broken and invisible and like there was something wrong with me. It must be me. It's all in my head. But it's also something that I hear from other mums time and time again. And it's that kind of, When you're carrying this load, you're spread thinly, you feel like you're failing in every kind of aspect or every role of your life, but you're trying so hard. And on the inside, maybe you're experiencing dark thoughts, your emotions feel turbulent, your hormones, and there's just, it's almost like you're drowning that you start to think it's it's all in my head, it's me. Like I've been to the doctor, I've done this, I've done that. I've tried, like it must be me. Why does it always happen to me? I'm kind of doomed. If that is you, I hear you 100, 1000%. And I'm really going to speak to you with this episode. So what I'm also going to do is I'm going to tell you a story because I had a client who I worked with a couple of years ago. She's now a friend. She actually came to me with this exact belief. So on the kind of clarity call, I was talking to her and she said, it feels like it's all in my head. I feel like I'm going crazy. So because that's just absolutely kind of what we worked on, it's the perfect story to share and case study, if you like. So I'm going to talk through this and I really hope that this will help validate how you're feeling, give you a new perspective and offer you a kind of path forward. But the big thing for me is that validation. Okay, so when she came to me, um, she said that she felt frightened of her own limitations and deficiencies. She was plagued by the belief that she was not enough for her daughter and was a burden to her people that were close to her, her family. She just felt like a complete burden. She also told me that it had gone on for long enough and she'd almost began to believe that it was her that was the problem, that she was the one that was broken and that it was all in her head. So as a coach, I was really able to kind of pan the camera back and look at it from this kind of helicopter view, if you like, which we all need to do. But when we're in the problem and we're consumed by it, we almost become the problem. We feel like it's us. So I was able to kind of pan the camera back and gain some perspective and help her look at the bigger picture and also really kind of redefine what else this could mean. And then obviously offer a different perspective, a new way moving forward. So just to set the scene, before she'd had her child, her daughter, She told me, because this is what we need to do, we need to look at the whole picture, right? So she told me that her pregnancy was like physically pretty plain sailing. Her and her husband were going through a lot of changes in their lives. They relocated hundreds of miles from home. Their financial situation changed and that's not for the better. They moved house, um, they bought a house 
and I think it was the first home buying and she set up a business and her husband was settling into his new job so there was a lot going on and it was fair to say that kind of she was going into motherhood, this huge kind of transition, not just carrying a baby, but also this substantial amount of stress that she kind of downplayed, to be fair. And I remember her telling me that her mentality was very much kind of live for the moment. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And if all else fails, we'll just wing it. But she did also admit that on the inside, she was fearful and concerned about her new mum identity. So she really couldn't see beyond the kind of newborn baby stage. And she admitted that her busyness with her business was almost like an unconscious distraction. So it was something that she could control, I guess, during this transition into the unknown. And then like moving forward after she'd had her daughter, she remembers kind of being sat. And I remember her telling me this because it was so emotive, but she remembers being sat in this kind of half renovated bedroom. So they'd bought this house. It was, in her words, a bomb site, a building site, and they'd run out of money. So they were stuck with how they could move that forward. So she'd had this newborn literally days after she was in this bedroom. It was kind of half wallpapered, clothes everywhere. There was no wardrobe. There's more of a floor drobe. And she was sat in bed and she said this overwhelming kind of dark truth overcame her that this wasn't going to be a short phase that it's not just a case of the baby blue she knew that she was in it for the long haul and it was such a kind of dooming despairing feeling of almost feeling trapped and she said that she'd never used the word overwhelm as much she said it wasn't even in a dictionary so she was completely overwhelmed that was the word she was using time and time again exhausted and depleted and she said she loved this little person so much that she was so overwhelmed with the fear of not being enough for her and another thing she said which I can totally relate to is she almost felt like all her vulnerabilities and insecurities that she had as a woman had suddenly been entered into this competition and broadcasted for the world to see. It was almost like she was on stage. She had to perform, she had to succeed, and she couldn't let anyone down. I can feel the pressure just describing this, like, oh my God. It was almost like she didn't want to be found out for who she really was. It was like she felt like an imposter in her own life. She just wasn't up to the job. She couldn't cope. And then the best way that she kind of described it was feeling scared and fearful. But instead of this fear being something tangible, like a thing, a person, an event, you know, the hypothetical kind of tiger or something she had to face in her external world, she said it was internal. It was the fear of herself, the fear that she wasn't enough. And she couldn't run and she couldn't hide. So just to come out a second and give some perspective. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, how often do we go into parenthood 
we put more emphasis into the marriage and planning the wedding and that kind of thing. I'm talking generally now, but this kind of is what happens. You know, it's kind of a big deal. We spend months planning that. We're stressed because of it. Life changes tend to happen at this time. I don't know if you've noticed this, but changes of jobs and location and houses and all this kind of thing, not always, but sometimes. And we're highly stressed getting into pregnancy, but we downplay it. We downplay it. So we're already depleted. So she, in this case, she was depleted. She was stressed. And there was a huge amount going on in her external environment. And when we think about good old Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's almost like her basic needs were at risk. So her home didn't feel safe. It didn't feel like a nest. It felt like a bomb site. They didn't have the money. So they didn't have the security that they they needed to feel kind of safe and secure. They were worrying about that. And then it's almost like that became her normal. You kind of delete it, right? You kind of delete it out that this is how it is. So accept it. But at the same time, this kind of normal, she certainly felt a great deal of responsibility to change the things that were out of her control, which is an absolute when she's a new mum absolute recipe for feeling crazy so already I was able to give her this perspective like maybe it's not just in your head it's in your environment look at what you're contending with as a new mum when you absolutely need replenishment safety nourishment nurturing it was almost like the opposite there were a lot of positive factors but we need to acknowledge the bigger picture and the context of what how she was feeling then what she told me is during this time she also experienced this array of kind of physical and emotional symptoms so these were things like paranoia she was really really paranoid kind of felt like she didn't have any support, that people weren't accepting of her, didn't like her, very invisible. Stomach cramps, bloating, crying, like she used to go to coffee shops and just burst into tears when she was out and about. She just remembers crying a lot. Dehydration. She just felt she was, she was breastfeeding and obviously we give a lot of our own nutrients to our children. But she was dehydrated, dry lips, dry mouth, pain in lower back, and she had like heightened senses, so heightened kind of senses to noise, like noise aversion, lack of spatial awareness. She'd hit her head a lot, like have a few bumps and accidents and that kind of thing. And at the time, she didn't want to be alone or have company. So it was this weird like kind of conflict that was going on. And she said that it was painful, like emotionally painful and frequent. And what was interesting was, I remember saying it's almost like she'd been hijacked by her body. So one thing that was she was totally not prepared for was the lack of sleep. And she said that like the sleep deprivation had a profound impact on her all-round health and well-being, but most significantly her mental health, emotional resilience and her ability to focus and like remember stuff, her memory. And she said she was shocked, like she was really shocked just how foggy her brain had become. And the lack of sleep also had a huge impact on her food choices, um, her gut and her digestion and her ability to kind of work and socialize, but also her identity. She kind of described it really well. And I think energy and identity are so interconnected. 
she said that she went from feeling kind of energized and high vibe and more kind of a radiator to an on edge, distracted, paranoid, anxious, overwhelmed version of herself. And she said she felt so much more like a drain than a radiator, which kind of fed into this feeling like a burden when, she, oh, my God, she had just given birth to this little baby. So another thing, like fast forward a bit. I can't remember when when she said this was, but I know she was taking her daughter to the cinema for the first time and she was going to see Frozen 2. You know how much I love Frozen 2. How many of us have seen it? And if you haven't, please go and watch it. It was made for mums, made for mums. And she told me that when she was going to see this film, she was excited to take her daughter, but also so massively anxious that she would, she would, she was worrying that her daughter wouldn't sit still. <laughs> um, that she, how would she navigate the kind of sweet shop and, and the sugary snacks and, and that side of things, and then the repercussions of that, and what if she doesn't like the movie, like what's she going to do? How is she going to be able to like manage that? And she remembers just being kind of overcome with emotion. So she was hit by this turbulent kind of emotional wave, but she was in the middle of the cinema and there was a queue of people. And she said a little one was running around like in and out of the poles when she was waiting to get the ticket. And she, all she was trying to do was hold herself together like all of her energy that she had was just trying to hold herself together until she couldn't. And she told me that as she was buying the ticket, the tears just came rolling down her face. And the young guy serving her kind of asked if she was okay. And then her daughter asked if she was okay. And she said, what's wrong, mummy? And she bent down and she said, I'm okay. It's just my hormones. Now, that gives me goosey bumpies because and chills because coming back to me now, the hormones are messengers, right? They reflect our inner and external environment to us and they feed us the messages, their symptoms for us to act on in order to bring the body back to safety and homeostasis. So, hormones were always trying the body is always trying to regain some kind of balance and homeostasis and hormones are such a reflection of our environment now we kind of again accept as mums that hormones are going to be all over the place but I don't think we understand fully the gravity of that I don't think we fully understand our hormones and the communication between our hormones and other systems in our body and then the interplay with our external environment. So actually, isn't it interesting that she was right? She was intuitive. It's not just in her head. It was in her hormones. It was in her body. So when she engaged with me, things were unbelievably tough. She came to me after she reached what she described as this kind of rocky enough bottom for her. So it was a rock bottom, but it was it was far enough. She wasn't willing to go any further. And she'd found herself one day sat downstairs on the sofa bed. She was just trying to get some rest. 
And she felt so low in this dark kind of space that she was on the computer and she was just Googling euthanasia. And she said she didn't really know what she was doing. She didn't want to die. She didn't want to cause any harm to her family. She just didn't want to be a burden. She didn't want to suffer. She wanted the pain to end. And then she made a decision. She made a decision in that moment that, honestly, this was her choice. She decided to live. And it's at that point she got in touch with me. And what I can tell you, she didn't fully believe in herself at that point that this could work, that things could work, that things could get better. But she knew she didn't want to die, nor did she merely want to survive. She wanted to live and thrive and be the mum that her daughter was proud of and the wife that her husband could really kind of count on. So this was a huge turning point for her. And she was beginning to understand that it wasn't all in her head. And I think, I know (laughs) from this work that awareness is the first step before change. Awareness is healing in itself. And here, after having this awareness and acknowledging her environment, the bigger picture, the body and what the body had to go through to kind of brew and birth a baby... And, you know, the repercussions of that and the need for recovery and replenishment, but also balance through her hormones and how that can feed into her symptoms. She really needed to accept her situation with compassion and her role in it. So she she told me she accepts things the way they are, but she's not okay with them to continue. She wants to make changes. And I think acceptance is so huge. It comes with that level of awareness. Yes, things are shit. They're like this, but they're not going to stay like this. For her, this this firstly was understanding, as well as the physical, the emotional anchor. So really working on releasing her emotional anchor that she had associated with this mum shame and guilt and her feelings of not feeling like she was enough. These anchors were so draining on her energy, honestly, and they were too expensive and they totally disrupted her inner frequency and she wanted that high vibe back. They will also have disrupted her hormones. So part of this emotional release process for her was very much her owning her role in her situation. And this is not about being critical. Mm -hmm. It's not about kind of beating yourself up and bashing yourself and blaming yourself, but it's acknowledging and understanding and accepting your own contribution to how you are feeling with honesty, courage, and kindness. And I was able to kind of bring in Gabor Mate here, who we all love, who he talks about becoming responsible. When you break that word down, response able, able to respond to your own needs. So this is very much our starting point. And this level of awareness really required her to be present and create kind of mental space and stillness, which is something she wasn't doing because she was scared of herself. She was trying to fight herself or flight herself, like run away from herself. So her overthinking, worrying, self-criticizing became overwhelming. So she had to declutter her head. And this takes us on to the next kind of chapter of her story. It's not all in your head. Maybe it's in your story, in your past, in your beliefs, in your inherited emotions, values, your imprinting. 
So she held this belief that she wasn't enough for her daughter. How many of us kind of carry that? You know, some will say it's the kind of human condition, but it doesn't feel good. And she wasn't up to the job of motherhood. So she felt she couldn't cope. And this lingering feeling of not feeling safe within her own skin, within herself, like the fear was following her around, like the ghosts in the walls. So we followed this kind of functional medicine approach to dig deep down into her history. And we went back along her timeline and her symptoms to investigate her whole kind of health picture and her self picture, health and self, you know, we can't separate them. And part of this approach included using this timeline to kind of map out her story and health journey from birth to the present day. And that in itself was so enlightening to her. Like it took her back to, first of all, when she was 13. And that was a very significant memory for her. And how interesting, like when we think about matrescence, the birth of a mother, the transition into motherhood, also menstruation and adolescence matrescence and adolescence are so similar 13 was when she was becoming a woman and it was her significant memory of her feeling like she didn't fit in or belong and and feeling completely lost and she remembers kind of lying in this caravan on this yard she was going she had the opportunity to be a a groom for an Olympic dressage rider and then get trained by him as well because she was really into kind of riding and she was having to make adult decisions as a child. So she went back to that and following that experience, she began to develop this pattern of people-pleasing behaviours, perfectionism, kind of high expectations, but also this real kind of strong urge to rebel and break free and find her own path and find herself. And then following that, like this was a huge story. So this is just a snapshot in time, but it took her back to a similar feeling and belief and emotion that she was feeling now. So we kind of went back to the origin of that. It does go back before, but this was significant to her at the time. She acknowledged then how she developed these kind of safety behaviors following this to help numb and escape how she was feeling. Ultimately, the thing she was trying to run away from was herself. So these coping behaviors, she got heavily into alcohol, drugs, party scene, that kind of thing. They were never going to offer her a long-term healthy solution, but they offered her the relief that she needed at the time and they enabled her to survive and cope. So on reflection, she was able to look back and understand these kind of behaviors added fuel to the fire and further altered her physiology and psychology. But also she was carrying a lot of shame around who she was back then. And a lot of this unresolved stuff from the past was bubbling up. And she felt that that time had contributed to her feeling of lack of self-worth and lack of self-belief because it hadn't been remedied, you see, it was there from the past, and she was carrying it into motherhood. And when she said she was put on stage for the world to see, it was because all this stuff was bubbling up. It needed nurturing, it needed some attention, it needed integrating, needed understanding. So just coming back to the body for a minute, 
I really helped her kind of identify the low hanging fruit. And I think this is so, so important when you feel overwhelmed and it's in your, you feel like it's in your head and it's you and there's all this stuff going on and you're in the problem and you don't know where to start is to look at what's easy and accessible. The body is our home. So it was really to look at the body. The body is her home and it's our home. It's put through so much, right? (laughs) So the low hanging fruit for me, for her was really to look at replenishing the body, looking at how we can really increase her energy, but balance it rather looking at the output to kind of input and balancing that. And she's going to have have had greater needs in terms of breastfeeding, stress, you know, food is information. So sometimes we need more targeted information in the form of nutrients and minerals, vitamins, to be able to support those stress pathways that the body is kind of putting more pressure on during this time and the replenishment. You know, we take that time to brew a baby nine months. What about the recovery? time it almost needs to match that so for me I recommended because she did feel like everything was in her head and she was going crazy I talked to her about the gut brain connection and just what kind of impact the gut has and the gut microbiome especially around pregnancy and then birth then postpartum and just in terms of how it is very Uh, It's a huge factor in inflammation. It's connected to the brain. There are more signals going from the gut to the brain than are the brain to the gut. And a lot of her symptoms around the brain fog, poor memory, changes in mood, skin kind of changes. Um, She reported like a rash could be connected to the gut is the hub it's what feeds the rest of the body Um, and of course being depleted we want our gut to be actually absorbing our food really well so I recommended some functional testing and she actually did a a GI map and we looked at her whole kind of diversity and health of her gut from viruses fungi, bacteria, parasites, her good bacteria, her immune markers and her inflammation. And what was so, so interesting, and this was huge, this was a huge kind of realization for her is that her inflammation markers were raised. So we know now that inflammation is a primary factor in depression and anxiety symptoms and overwhelm. Um, She also had imbalances in her gut bugs, which we call dysbiosis, and that meant that her physical body was under stress. And obviously, the messages being sent to the brain are going to be that of fight or flight. They're going to be stress messages under threat. On top of this, we did some genetic testing. And what was really interesting is that her ability to cope with stress in terms of detoxify stress hormones um, were inhibited. So things tend to circulate for longer, linger for longer. If something upset her or affected her, it would be the body would hold on to it, be recycled rather than um, detoxified, which was such so interesting for her. Uh, and with genetics, yes, okay, they are 
we can't change them, but we can change how they're expressed through epigenetics. So that's the food that we put into our body, how we nourish ourselves, the environment we bathe ourselves in. Um, She also couldn't receive vitamin D in optimal ways to her receptors. Vitamin D receptors weren't working very well. So interesting. Vitamin D is like a hormone, right? If it is low and we're looking at we want ideal levels between like 100 and 125 sorry 75 and 125 around that but this is very individual depending on your needs and what your kind of health goals are and this kind of thing I can't remember what hers were but they were low and if your vitamin d is low your inflammation is going to be high well we got the scientific evidence to show that it is so that was something that we could easily kind of put in place so we did supplements and we did food and i helped with a food plan and some recipes i also introduced her to the work of dr oscar serilac who wrote the postnatal depletion cure which very much felt like the missing piece of like the kind of motherhood puzzle here so How interesting is it that we've got the environment? We're now much more aware of what's going on in the body, namely her hormones, her gut health, the gut-brain connection, inflammation, and being depleted and just the impact of that, that we need that information. Sometimes we need more and we need it targeted. That it's going, it felt like it was in her head, but it's not. We looked at her story, her beliefs, these kind of outdated belief systems she was carrying in from the past that were affecting her behavior and her her feelings now. She also kind of became very curious. So this was amazing. Like, you know, when you start to find out stuff, I see this all the time, that you go on this self-discovery journey. (laughs) So she started to become a bit addicted to learning, which in some ways didn't help because she didn't have an off switch. (laughs) But she you know, looked at all the TED Talks, the audiobooks, the webinars, she'd listened to um, different books and all these things. And she learned that she kind of learns in a specific way. So she likes listening to things and that kind of thing. And at this time, she discovered Brené Brown. And she believes that her audiobook, which is Braving the Wilderness, check it out, along with the inspirational work by Dr. Gabor Mate around childhood trauma and addiction, really helped her recover her from her life. How amazing is that? Because ultimately, that's what she was on is this self-discovery journey to recover her authentic, true self underneath the layers of life underneath how she had to respond to life the suppressed stuff the unresolved stuff but at this time she was just trying to be the best mum she could be so at this point which had been huge you know she had found out so much and had this greater understanding she had made the invisible visible And she really had some kind of tangible things that she could address. So her environment, looking at the body and gut and hormones, like I said, inflammation, looking at the low hanging fruit, how we can tweak things in her diet, in her supplements, but also her schedule. She had a great supportive partner. So just tweaking a few things there around a sleep kind of schedule and um, support and that kind of thing. And then through conversations with her family and filling in some of these unexamined gaps in her family history and exploring different modalities, she was enabled, she was able, sorry, to uncover that some of the stuff that was not hers was not hers to carry. 
I think what's important here is sometimes we just need some headspace to see the wood for the trees. We need to deal with the symptoms and we need to bring the body back into balance and reduce the overwhelm so we can gain some clarity. And this is exactly what helped her then feel stronger, more resilient, more energized, more nourished to then go on and explore some of the deeper layers of her story. And here we really got to the identity level. And with that, we uncovered the generational imprinting that actually maybe it didn't even start with her at all. That she discovered there was suicide in her family line on her maternal side. And what she learned is that trauma gets passed down epigenetically through cortisol in the womb. And it imprints in the brain beyond where language can reach. So it can't cognitively be processed. Like These brain alterations causes the people that suffer to see the world in a very different way. And trauma very much wires the nervous system to protect and defend, which really replaces connection with separation. And it was connection that she oh so wanted with herself and others. She wanted to be seen and respected. She wanted to have self-worth. She wanted to stand in her power. She wanted to feel comfortable in her skin. She wanted to enjoy her life. Do you know what I mean? Be the mum she wanted to be, the wife, blah, blah, blah. And what's so, so interesting is some of the behaviors, like the feeling on edge, the worry, the doom and gloom, the feeling trapped, not feeling seen, the abandonment, maybe wouldn't have happened without the transgenerational trauma. Or they wouldn't, they were trauma responses was what she identified. So we learn to manage difficult times and difficulty in our lives and challenge by mirroring the coping strategies of our caregivers. And for her, this was really about masking kind of things looked okay on the outside, quite privileged, but on the inside, she felt like she was failing and drowning. So she masked to cope. And looking outside of ourselves for a new model, which she very much did when she went on this kind of rebellion, drug-fueled kind of journey (laughs) to find herself, essentially, and numb the pain. And essentially, she was looking for connection. And then there's this kind of traumatic imprint. So trauma in Greek means wound. So it's a wound that, if not healed, will keep acting out. And if you're in a position of not feeling seen or validated. If we think about motherhood and how these kind of behaviors and networks can be reactivated, abandonment and rejection, which is a trauma imprint, can govern your behavior. Even if it's been decades later, even if the wound wasn't yours in the first place. Children carry their mother's wounds because they want to take the burden off them just a little bit to relieve their pain. A child doesn't know it's a good child in a bad environment or a challenged environment. And what's so interesting is the basis of beliefs and values are imprinted. Like we inherit our sense of value from our family. And that's how we come to realize we're of worth or not. And, you know, we can't blame the parent. The parents do the best they can with the resources they have in the circumstances that they're in. And often they are parenting through old unresolved childhood wounds, which was the case. 
And Julia Samuel says in um, Every Family Has a Story, she says, suicide is like a cluster bomb. The shards pierce those closest to it, living inside them in the form of grief and trauma until such time they are located and the injury addressed. Guilt and repeated what ifs and whys is a few of the agonies the survivors contend with. So what she really became to understand is that feeling of not feeling safe and the ghosts in the walls were partly due to pain from the past that even happened before her, that pain that is not transformed is transmitted. And if you want to stop the transmission, you have to face and feel the pain. And that was her huge realization. And just to summarize here, our physiology and psychology are closely related. And I was able to introduce her to Joe Gamble, who had done a webinar on stress. And she described mental health as being the body's response to stress. So however that mental health is expressed, it's the body's response to stress. And this really, really sang true to my client with everything that she had learned that it might sound obvious, but it was the first time that she'd actually heard it explained like that. And it made so much sense. And there's the the description perfectly correlated with what she had found, what she experienced in her feelings. And this language kind of made sense to her. She could really understand it. The mind and the body are connected. Trauma is stored in the body. The body keeps the score. When we go into motherhood, we go through this kind of awakening and this unresolved stuff through depletion and sleep deprivation has to come up in order to be faced so we can face the pain and upgrade ourselves to be a better human being, a better parent, free ourselves from the prison of the past that sometimes wasn't even ours to carry in the first place. It's not true. It's not all in your head. And I was able to say this to her and she was able to see and feel it and live this, that it was in her environment that she kind of just deleted and distorted because that's kind of the the card she was dealt in her body, her gut, her hormones, her inflammatory pathways. It was in her story. It's in her beliefs, her inherited emotions and values. And sometimes it didn't even start with you at all. But the generational pattern you were gifted. And I say gifted because this mum actually transformed into the woman who believed in herself. And the mother who trusted herself. He felt worthy and enough and had the energy and power, not just to transform her own health and life. She then went on to train and qualify in these transformational techniques so that she could step into her purpose and create this kind of body of work and program for mums that addresses the big gaps in health and well-being of mothers, namely gut health, intergenerational trauma, inflammation, nutritional deficiencies, and the lack of attention on the spiritual transition that is motherhood. So that the motherhood narrative changes for the next generation. And that was her passion. And what I can tell you is that she is still living out her mission and helping other mothers so that they don't feel how she felt and suffer in silence so that they don't have to go on that computer so that they don't suppress and cope with alcohol and other kind of 
emotional crutches to numb the pain so that they don't hide themselves behind the mask and keep their true light from shining bright. And I know this because she's speaking to you now. I hope this has been helpful. It's not all in your head. And if you can relate to this, please, please reach out. It's never too late and it is always the right time. I hope you have a great week and I will be back next week with another episode of Behind the Mother Mask.